So uh, last week we started talking about uh, the laws of the harvest and how that, what that means, how that works, uh, based in Galatians 6, 7, and 9. Don't be deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever man sows, he'll also reap. For the one who reaps his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows of the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary, if we do not grow weary. So this, is a, this begins where we understand what, how does this work, these, these irrevocable laws of the harvest and how they apply to us, how we utilize them. He says, a man, you reap what you sow. And that's good news, and it's bad news. Because if you sow to the flesh, you reap from the flesh. And if you sow to the Spirit, you reap from the Spirit eternal life. So they're, they're both, they're both uh, <laughs> it's both good and bad, depending on which side you're sowing and reaping from. So last week we talked about we only reap what's been sown. Words, we, we, we reap what has been sown by God. We reap salvation because God sowed His Son to die on our behalf so that we could have salvation. Uh, we reap what has been sown. I mean, we, you know, we have the effects of other people's faithfulness in our lives. We also have the effects of other people's treachery. Uh, so, but, so it works both good and bad, but someone has sown to what we have today. I mean, you know, in the, in the fifties, they began this great project, uh, the interstate highway project in like, in like a period of like five years, they built interstate highways, east and west, north and south across the United States. We can't build a road in five years. Uh, but th- it's what a tremendous benefit that, that has been to us. And so we, we reap where other people have sowed. We also reap where the people have sowed because people get injured, because people do foolish things, and we, people drive drunk, and innocent people die. They, they didn't have anything to do with it. They, they, things happen because of that. Uh, we, rip, we reap in a different season than we sow. In other words, you, you, you don't ever see Im- immediate results. We like to see immediate results. I mean, right? But uh, it, it, takes, it takes a process. Planting, even planting is not easy. It's, it's a process because... Planting is a preparation. You, have to, you, you can't just go out and throw the seeds you want for your garden out in your yard. It's unlikely you'll see anything happen. I mean, it might. You might have something, you know, some stray plant that overcame, overcome the grass. But uh, you have to prepare. Then you, then you have to wait. But waiting, you know, we talked about last week, waiting is not doing nothing. The farmer plants his seed, but then he waits, but he's not sitting in his house watching Jeopardy. He's, he's working. He's, he's tilling the soil. He's trying to deal with weeds. He's, he's making sure there's enough water. But you know, we've had a lot of water the last couple of months. This is June. Uh, end of this month, the tap will be turned off and we won't get anything for about three months. If it's, if it's a normal year. So then we wait, then we harvest. 
So the fourth thing, the fourth principle I want to talk about today, so we talked about we reap what's only what's sown, we reap the same in kind as we sow, we reap in a different seasons as we sow. Uh, that's, that's last week's sermon in a recap, really, really quick, really quick from what it was last week. So uh, number four, we reap more than we sow, which is a good, you know, this is, this is the harvest principle. While the earth remains, Genesis 8:22, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night will not cease. It's the law of productivity. Words, you reap more than you sow. When the, when the farmer puts his seed into the ground, he is expecting a harvest. He's not, he's not expecting, if he puts a thousand seed into the ground, he's not expecting to get a thousand seeds back. That would be unprofitable, right? What's he expecting? He's expecting that he's going to get more, that there's going to be a harvest. It's going to multiply his efforts, that he's going to get 30, 60, 100 fold, even more than that on his return. You get more than you sow. And that, that's good news. That's great news. But there's a negative aspect of this law too, because even if you're sowing to the flesh, you get more than you sow. Proverbs 22.8, he who sows wickedness reaps trouble. Hosea 8.7, for they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. Good example of this is David, the famous king of Israel, who, you know, fought for his life to finally become king. He finally became king. And uh, after a season, he had six wives five wives before Bathsheba, and he saw Bathsheba bathing on the roof, and he took her, and then she was married to Uriah the Hittite. So to cover the adultery and the fact that she was pregnant, he had Uriah the Hittite killed. He murdered Uriah to cover his sin. This is what the Lord said to him in 2 Samuel 12, 11. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I'll even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because the, the, according to the law, the consequences of adultery were, were death. But God didn't give him the, con- the, law, the consequences of the law. God gave him mercy. However, because of this deed, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You've embarrassed the work of God. You've caused your enemies to have a reason to blaspheme God. The child also that is born to you shall surely die. So it says that because of this, so David sowed the wind. He's going to reap the whirlwind. You say, ooh, this is a really harsh This is the reality of sin. The wages of sin is death. If you sow death, you reap more death than you sowed, right? Sow to the flesh, you reap from the flesh. You sow to the spirit, you reap from the spirit. So because of this, there's a whole chain of events involved in this that David, because of his sexual sin, uh, Amnon, his oldest son, his firstborn, rapes Tamar, his stepsister, Amnon's stepsister by another one of David's wives. Uh, So David doesn't do anything about it. 
because he's just he's reeling from his own sexual sin, and so because he's he's just sinned sexually, he doesn't say anything to Amnon about what has happened. So because David doesn't do anything, then Tamar's brother Absalom murders Amnon, which then creates more conflict in the family. Now David is set against Absalom, and this, ab- this alienates David and Absalom even greater. So then eventually Absalom tries to overthrow David, take away the kingdom from him. And in that process, he lays with David's concubines in broad daylight, according to the prophecy that Nathaniel the prophet has said. Then Joab kills Absalom in battle. And even though he has pushed David out of being king in this instant, David still mourns greatly at the loss of his son, of course. Then when Solomon ascends to the throne, uh, he kills his half-brother Adonijah. So the sword was in his family. Who did that? David did that. David did that. You say, well, God did it. Well, no, no. He reaped what he, God let him reap what he sowed. And, but he, he also, at the, at the same time, in the midst of it, God gave him mercy for his own sin. God was merciful to David. He didn't get what he deserved. You know, we often say that. Well, I want what's coming to me. No, you don't. (laughs) You know, we want to point our finger at God and say, God, you're not fair. You don't want fairness. You want mercy. You want grace. So, Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. So if you, if you try to hide your sin, as David did for a year, and then, then he came clean after he was confronted. Now, that's the negative aspect of this law. When you sow to the flesh, you reap from the flesh, and you reap more than you sow. The positive aspect is that you reap more than you sow. After he removed him, he raised up David to be their king, speaking of Saul, concerning whom they also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will from the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. So though David made a horrible mistake and there were horrible consequences, most of his life, Most of his life was devoted fully to following God. So because of that, because he sowed more to the spirit than he did to the flesh, that he reaped a harvest, and we reap the harvest, from his lineage comes the Messiah. Because he was faithful. He messed up. He made a mistake, and he paid a dear price for it. But also there was a great harvest in his being faithful. So here's the, here's the principle to learn here. If you mess up, stop quickly and repent. Turn away from sin quickly. God will forgive you. God will give you mercy. Doesn't mean that the consequences are going to go away. But it will 
You will find compassion and mercy. God is a compassionate God. He's a merciful God. 2 Corinthians 2.9, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So the concept is you reap more than you sow. So if you sow to the flesh, you reap more than you sow. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap more than you sow. So he's saying, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, God's going to supply seed for you for sowing. God's going to supply with you the ability to sow and then increase the harvest of your righteousness. He's going to create a harvest through your sowing. So why do we, why do we not sow when we know it's God's will and purpose and desire for us to be productive? He wants us to sow to the Spirit. Why do we not? We don't plant because we're waiting for perfect timing and perfect circumstances. You know, we always, you know, do, do you remember, some of you will remember this. When you were young and you, you got married and, uh, and you were broke. And, uh, you know, they would tell you things like, you know, two can live as cheaply as one, which is true. They can for half as long. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but you didn't have any money. Uh, and then you decided to have kids. And, uh, and you couldn't afford, you know, you'd think, when can you afford to have kids? Well, unless you're really wealthy, never. Because kids are very expensive. It costs you, you know, something like a million dollars to raise a kid until, you know, get them out of the house at 40. And... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, you know, it's, it's very expensive. You can't, so if, if you're thinking, I'm, I'm going to have a child because I can afford to have children, you'll never, if I'm going to get married because I can afford to get married. Or I can, you know, if, if you wait to make an investment, I know a lot of people who don't give, they don't give because they don't think they can afford to give. The reality is you can never afford to give. It, it, it is a sacrifice. That, that's the principle. That's what's happening. You're giving sacrificially. It's the sacrificial giving of God's people that supports his work. God wants us. It wants, it, you know, David at one point says, I'm not going to give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. I'm not going to give which isn't a price, which isn't a sacrifice. It's a, it, it is a sacrifice. Ecclesiastes 11.4, he who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. This you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you don't know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and don't be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. He's saying, basically what he's saying in Ecclesiastes, just do everything you can. Trust God with the results. We're unwilling to sacrifice or afraid to sacrifice, and so in faith, 1 Corinthians 15, 36 says, you fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Unless you put seed in the ground, you can't see a harvest. That's an act of faith. Isn't it an act of faith for a farmer to put seed in the ground? He's, you know. Now, what happens if, if the farmer eats all of his seed? And, and he's unwilling to put it in the ground. He doesn't have anything to put in the ground because he's, he's eating it all. Some of you are eating all your seed. You're living on about 110%. There's, there's always a shortfall. There's always a shortfall. So, so because of that, you, you, you just always feel in crisis. So 
it's hard to sow in faith when, when you've eaten the seed. You have, to, you have to put it in the ground. You have to trust God. It's, you have to die to comfort and die to self and die to security to be more productive. But anybody that's ever started any business or, or venture of any kind, it is always a great step of faith to, to trust your ability and to overcome the obstacles to start a business or to run a business because the obstacles, obstacles are going to be there. We, we miss out because we procrastinate. We hesitate through opportunities. We miss opportunities because we, we don't, we, we're, un, we're fearful and we're not willing to move. Proverbs 10, 5, he who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. Always like this verse, Proverbs 22, 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. Well, I, you know, honey, go to Walmart. I can't. There's a lion outside. I better stay in, take a nap. In other words, we, you know, isn't that kind of like the worst case scenario? You know, thinking, why can't you do it? Well, there could be a lion out in the streets. Uh, so we procrastinate. We're unable to see the harvest. We're unable to rouse ourselves from our sleep, from our slumber, and we're not mature enough often to make the good decisions. You know the difference between mature and immature? One of the, one of the changes that takes place in maturity is that when you're immature, uh, you're thinking about what you want for yourself. When you're mature, you're thinking about the needs of those that you're taking care of. So, so a mature person says, you know, mature person says, you know, I would like to have a new pair of shoes, but my kids need shoes, so they're going to get shoes. So you you sacrifice. You know, a, a lot of you know you think a lot of guys around forty five or forty eight. You know, you'll think that, that that's when they'll get a Harley or get something like that, you know, kind of. He's like, why did they wait till then to do it? Because it's the first time they could afford it. Because <laughs> the kids are out of the house and now they've got like an extra 15 cents. <laughs> you know, they, they've, uh, it, it's, and they wouldn't have done it before because they wouldn't have, they didn't want to take away from taking care of their kids. Law number five, we reap in proportion to what we sow, which, which seems like the same as you reap more than you sow, but it's not the same because we reap in proportion. The more you sow, the more you reap. If you sow an acre, you reap an acre's worth. If you sow a hundred acres, you reap a hundred acres worth. Now, what's the difference? A hundred times more work. And a hundred times more harvest. So you have to work to see a greater harvest. So if I, if I work just for a hundred acres, I'm going to get a hundred acre profit. If I work for one acre, I'm going to get a one acre profit. The, the less I sow to the flesh, the less I will reap to the flesh. The less, the more I sow to the spirit, the more I'm going to reap from the spirit. And this this, uh, this seems particularly important in, in our use of money. 
that God wants us to be judicious with our money and how we use it. He wants us to invest it in the kingdom of God. The generous man will be prosperous. And he who waters will himself be watered. So what's at work? Does God give money to people who give? I don't think so. But yes. So wait a minute. In other words, is there an immediate benefit to giving money into the kingdom of God? There's no, there's not an immediate benefit. And in giving money, if you give a hundred dollars, does that mean that you're going to get a hundredfold return and so tomorrow you're going to get a thousand or ten thousand dollars? No, it doesn't mean that at all. What, what it does is that it changes the economy that you're living in. You move from a world economy to a faith economy. You move from the world is my source to God is my source. So that we're, we're giving by faith. And so what's the harvest? Well, you sow to the Spirit, you reap eternal life. The harvest is, is not a Cadillac. It's eternal life. The harvest is not more money in your bank account. It's life in Christ. It's, it's life. The, but it, it does some good things for you. Because you move out of, out of a, I see it and I got it in the economy, the world's economy, you move into a faith economy, which is a good thing. 1 Timothy 6, 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Never rejoice in your ability to have more than somebody else. Don't be conceited about your riches. It's a blessing. It's an honor. It's a gift. It's a grace. It's a mercy. Don't be conceited. Or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Because they can go away real quick. But on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Then Paul says to the Philippians in 4.17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. So when we give money into the kingdom of God, what we're giving is faith. We're putting our trust in God. We're we're moving out of the world economy into God's economy. And in God's economy, there is an endless supply. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need anything. There's not anything you can give God that he needs. But Paul says, I don't seek the gift, but I seek for the profit which increases increases to your account. You've got an account? You do. You have a faith account. And you always need more faith. When we give, we give in faith. Often when we don't give, the reason we don't give is because 
deep down, we don't give because we don't believe that God can bless us and take care of us with the 90%. We feel like we're going to do better with the 100%. So giving puts us into a faith economy. It says, I'm trusting God as my source. I'm giving this because I'm giving this 10% because I believe that God owes 100%. I'm, and I'm declaring that he is my source. So I'm stepping out of my ability into his ability. I'm trusting him. I believe that God can do more with what's in his hands than I can do with all of it. So in, in essence, what, what we can be saying if we're not careful is that I trust me more than I trust God. So we say, listen, I don't trust God with money, but I believe he's going to take care of my soul for eternity. That doesn't make any sense. I don't trust God with my paycheck for the next two weeks, but you know, I believe he loves me and he saved me and Jesus died for me and he's going to take care of me for all eternity, but I don't trust him for right now. So it's putting our faith in God. Uh, you need a faith account. You need to be able to say, this is, I have seen God bring me through, and he will bring me through. You know, when David stood against Goliath, and Saul said, how can you do this? He said, well, one day uh, a lion showed up and took one of the sheep. And I killed a lion. Another day, a bear showed up, tried to take one of the sheep. I killed the bear. Said, this giant, he'll be like one of those. He didn't just start on giants. <laughs> I don't know. To me, I don't know. I think maybe a bear is scarier than a giant. But, right? He had built up his faith in trusting God. God had seen him through difficult times. And so he had seen it. I can put my trust in God. So you're going to need a faith account. Because you've got some trouble coming. Right? You don't have to plan on it. It's, I'm not, it's just there. Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Law number six, we reap the full harvest of the good only if we persevere. The evil comes to harvest on its own. Weeds grow by themselves. You don't ever have to go out. Tina is fighting a never-ending battle with weeds. She hates weeds growing in the flower bed. And she and Roundup are good friends. And she will go and spray those weeds and it really frustrates her in about two weeks when they're back. And you think, I just killed those weeds. And you know what happened? Another batch came up. It's kind of like fire ant beds. They just keep showing back up. We have to persevere. This is the law of the harvest. You don't see the harvest. If, if the farmer plants and then quits, does he see the harvest? 
even though he planted well. He planted good seed, and he prepared the soil, and he planted well. If he plants and quits, he doesn't see the harvest. If he waits in the summer, if he, if he deals with the bugs and the weeds and the disease all summer long, and he deals with it, but at harvest time, he goes to Hawaii, what's he got to do? He's got to... He's got to persevere to the end. Our Christian faith is about persevering. We have to be faithful to the end because it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And don't lose heart and grow weary and faint and acting nobly and doing right. For in due time at the appointed season we shall reap if we don't loosen and relax our courage and faint. So here's what happens. First you, first you have opportunity, and then comes opposition. Everything's hard. 1 Corinthians 69, for a wide door for effective, effective service has opened to me. Paul's saying, there's a great opportunity, and there are many adversaries. Have you found that everything you want to do, there's adversaries? Everybody's got an opinion. You've got to learn to ignore the opinions of the, the crowd. I mean, I'm not saying ignore everyone's opinion. You ought to have some people in your life that you listen to. And, but even then, you know, you might say something like, you know, we're having another baby. And your parents might say, another baby? Or your grandparents, well, you're going to have five children Joe Skipper. <laughs> just four. Oh, it's just four. It just seems like five. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I can remember when we got pregnant with our third child. It was like not everybody believed it was good news. It was like, well, you know, should you have three children? Is it any of your business? It's like they have trouble being happy with you about it because they have an opinion. Everybody's. This is the age of an opinion. If you you can post a picture on Facebook and somebody will weigh in, you're too skinny, you're too fat. What are you doing that for? You shouldn't be doing that. Everybody, it's the age of an opinion. And if you listen to the throngs of people, you will never do anything. Don't let people discourage you or stop you. Life is hard. Here's the four things you got to get. Life is hard. Life's not fair. Nobody owes you anything and it's up to you. Now, now when I say it's up to you, I don't mean that it's not up to God, but God, God operates through you. You got to show up. You got to show up. It's like the farmer who had this great piece of property, and uh, you know it, it had been just whittled out of rocks and trees and forest, and they had this beautiful farm. And everybody said, "Man, they said this is a beautiful piece of property. That this is a beautiful farm that God gave you." He said, "You just should have seen it when God had it all by Himself." <laughs> In other words, it, life is hard. Life's not fair. Nobody owes you anything. 
you may get a lot of blessings. Your parents don't owe you a college education. They don't owe you a new car. Larry's the only one who's in this. He can only say it because his kids are grown. It's safe for him. Uh, (laughs) I mean, you know, and because we're growing up with such entitlement mentality. I think it's great if your parents are able to do what they're able to do, if they're able to do something for you. But it's not an ought. It's a blessing. Receive it as a blessing, not receive it as a, oh, i got to drive this old piece of junk. An old piece of junk's better than no piece of junk. I always thought. Nobody owes you anything. It's up to you. There's weeds, bugs, disease to fight every day. You just got to get up. There always will be. You know, I don't want to discourage you, but this is the truth. Life is a series of struggles, and then you die. You know how you can tell when you're dead? There's no more struggles. You're in heaven. Life is a, life is a series of struggles. Life is getting up, getting out of bed, when the bed's more comfortable than getting up. It's, it's persevering. You got you to keep on keeping on. That's when you see the harvest. You see the harvest if you, if you cross the finish line. Law number seven, we can't do anything about last year's harvest. But you can do something about next year's harvest. In other words, you can change what you're either sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. This is Saul. Now Saul is, is on his way to Damascus to persecute more Christians, and he, the Lord apprehends him on the road to Damascus. And he has a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he sees Jesus, and he says, Paul answered and said, who are you, Lord? Now Paul has this, been this great enemy of the church, and now Jesus has, is calling him to follow him, and he says, I'm Jesus the Nazarene whom you're persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go into Damascus. And there will be told all that has been appointed for you to do. The Lord told Paul, get up and go. I got a new direction for you to go in. You know what happened to Paul? He got up and went. Sometimes there's an area of our life we need to get up and move on. In other words, we need to to let the past die. See, Paul had been persecuting the church. He'd been killing Christians. And in an instant, God said, okay, it's time for you to go a different direction. Paul struggled with in his life, he struggled with the shame of those events from his past, but he still got up and moved past them because they were real events that happened. There was real sorrow associated with his past, the people that he had, the people that he had harmed in his past. There was real sorrow about what he had done in the past. And even though he was forgiven, he knew that he had caused people pain in his past. You understand? He understood that he was forgiven but he knew of the cost of his actions. And there was sorrow that followed him in his life for his past. But he also said, forgetting the things that are behind, 
I press forward in the high calling in Christ Jesus. There was, there was a demarcation line where he laid down the bondage of religion and he took up the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There was that line where he, he laid down trying to find the approval of men and instead wanted the approval of God first. See, so he got up and went. Some of you, you're letting those things, past things, define you. And they've happened. They're real events. They're painful events, painful past events. We're not diminishing the reality of it. But if you want to see the, the greatest harvest of your life, you want to see God use you in your life, you've got to get up and go. You got to get up and move into. You got to get up and move into where God wants you to be in fruitfulness and faithfulness. The things God had a mission for Paul to reach the Gentiles. God has a mission for you. God's calling on your life is no less powerful or important than it was for Paul. You're called in exactly the same way. So, so what is it? that you need, need to let go of? Is there something you need to let go of from the past or something that you need to let go of so that you can move into the promise? You need to get up and go on. You need to say, okay. There was a line in Paul's life where he's able to say, that was then. That's the old man. This is the new man in Christ. Maybe it's, maybe for you, you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ. And it's that, it's that. I, it's, I need to start the new journey of life in Christ. It's laying aside the old. So, okay, today's, today's the line. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day that I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. And for, for Paul, it was, it was life-altering. It, it was life-altering for me. When I walked into a little church in Mesquite that when I walked out of that church after having given my life to Jesus Christ, it was a demarcation line in my life. It changed the trajectory of my life. When Tina, on the invitation of her aunt and a counselor at her school who actually led her to Christ, then she went, started going to church with her aunt because her parents didn't go to church. She was not raised in church. And she started... She gave her life to Christ. It was a demarcation line. It was a change of direction. And that, that's the story. We could, we could tell stories all through this room and say there was a moment. There was the moment that I surrendered my life to Christ and it changed the tra trajectory of my life. It's the most powerful event in my life. When I surrendered my life to Christ, I got up and went. Lord, I want to I let go of the life of the past. I want to move on to what you have for me today. Amen. Let's stand. Just bow your heads for a moment. I just want you to think. Is there something you need to, you need to let go of so that you can move into what God wants for you today? Is there something from yesterday that you need to let go of? 
I'm not saying that it's, it's, that it's not there, it's not a reality, but you don't le- need to let it hold you back anymore. Don't let it define you anymore. That instead you want to be found in Christ, found in Him, found in His righteousness, found in His purpose. So Father, we just give it to You. If there's some here today that don't know you, you today, I, I pray, Lord, that today will be the day that they'll say, Jesus, I need you to come into my heart. I, I accept you as Lord of my life. I need you in my life. I receive you into my life, Lord Jesus. Today's the day of salvation for me. T- today's the day to say, yes, I need Jesus Christ. Lord, some today need to let go. And Lord, I just pray that you, you, they know what it is and you know what it is that you'll help them break free right now in Jesus' name. Break free of the bondage of the past so they can get up and go. They can move into the promise of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.